This is Wrestling with your host, Isaac Scanlon. Joining me for this episode of Wrestling is a real-life politician. Well, he tried at least. He lost, unfortunately. Alan Shen joins me on Wrestling. Alan ran for Minnesota House of Representatives seat 40B in November of 2022. Here, Alan described his calling to run for office and the issues he cares about most. Along the way, we wrestle with how to discern God's calling on your life, the most effective ways to reduce crime and improve education, and we answer the question of, are the Nordic countries really socialist? That and much more. Follow the links in the description to learn more about Alan's campaign and other topics we discussed, as well as to check me out on social. Hi, Alan. Welcome to Wrestling. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. Yes, for the... It's good to have you. Thanks for stopping by. So, as I said in the introduction, for the first time in show history, I'm having on a politician. Well, I mean, I guess by Google search result, I'm a politician. I mean, uh, I didn't win. I, I wish I could have. But, um, but if you Google search my name, it does say Alan Shen, politician. So, I was like, okay. If Google says it... Yeah, well, Google's just about taken over the world at this point, so with all the money they have and most internet searches are conducted through them, so I'd say they're pretty authoritative. So if Google says I'm a politician, I can call myself politician, right? Right, and, but more importantly, if I say you're a politician, then it must mean that you are. Okay, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, but at any rate... Welcome to wrestling. It's well, great thank to you. Have you. It's uh, great to be here because before I came here, I thought I have to jump in the ring and load up mud and get down and <laughs> wrestle. But it's nice to be sitting here comfortably with Arizona tea and some Oreos. So it's actually a nice surprise. Yeah, that's true. I I would not be interested if it were in actual wrestling. I don't quite have the frame for it. That's okay. I can enjoy Orioles. Same here. So you ran for Minnesota State House in 2022? Yep. And what's your party? Uh, So I ran as a Republican. So part of the reason is because, I mean, of course, I think for a lot of the immigrants coming over, especially we fled the communist China with my... uh, background in my family how my grandpa went through cultural revolution hmm. knowing what they well the communist china mao actually called himself a liberal guy who promised equality hmm. and uh, equal wealth uh, redistribute rich people's wealth and all that stuff so so having witnessed what socialism has done uh, knowing that i can bring a real perspective of people who lived under it and hopefully to educate the american public say what socialism really is so Hmm. uh that helped to prompt me to run yes okay and when you say what socialism is have you studied much about the economic systems in the nordic countries 
because it seems like they're doing pretty well, but I know a lot of people think that, that they're socialist. Well, uh, it's funny that you mentioned it. Actually, the Danish prime minister actually said publicly that Denmark is a capitalist society, not socialism. And when you look at Norway and Sweden, uh, they don't have some of the things that, say, Bernie Sanders wants to do. For example, they don't have minimum wage, right? So they don't have excessive high corporate taxation. They have really high income taxes, but that's taxing everyone. So in order to enjoy the great benefits, I mean, they are really good benefits that the government uh, uh, gave to their citizens, but everyone pays into it. Like middle class, middle lower class have to pay into it. Something like 50 or 60%, right? Hmm. So everyone enjoys it, but everyone has a skin in the game. And they don't have minimum wage. So to me, it's not socialism, but more like encourages entrepreneurship, encourages business to do better with lower corporate taxes, with less regulation, but just tax the heck out of the working class. Okay. All right. So at any rate, you, you ran for state senate. So what would you say is a main thing or a main issue or two that inspired you to run for state senate? Well, you want me to go through the whole the reason or there's some policies? Where should we start? Start with the reasons? or Yeah, let's start with the reason. So I can start with saying that, hey, um, actually... Partially, I would say I, I wanted to run to wake up the, uh, uh, no, the society here and uh, seeing how the country has been progressively moving to the left, which is a.k.a. socialism. So I want to just say it didn't work anywhere else, including China, where my family came from. And also uh, on a Christian-based uh, reason that because I also want to say God called me to do this. Right? Okay. So uh, I decided to run in March because before March, it was not even on my radar. It's like, what? Right? Run for office? No. Uh, right. March of what year? Uh, 2022. Okay. So I decided to run in March 2022. And in 2021, uh, in January of 2022, so two, two months before, uh, God called me to quit one of my part-time jobs, which I was mm. doing so well. As I was making really big strides, I received national attention. I had this statewide case competition that, you know, it got quite a bit of attention. And the students around the state, right, liked it because I was working with UMD, St. Cloud, St. Thomas, Mankato, Hamlin... Uh, I also reached out to Winona State, worked with Southwest Minnesota State. So I was work, working with all these schools, and the sponsors liked it, students loved it, and I received uh, national attention because at the Chicago National Convention, I was being nominated as one of the board member of the year. Wow. Right? Out of 50 states, 75 chapters, uh, being one of the six, it's kind of a big deal 
So the common sense for any guy would say, keep going. You're making great strides. You're making great accomplishment. You should keep going. But just at that speck of time, God came in and said, quit. I was like, uh, why? <laughs> right? So, so, so I had to call my president and say, hey, I want to quit. And he was like, why? I mean, I didn't want to tell him, oh, God told me to do it, so I quit. <laughs> so I had to tell him, oh, my work's so busy, so I, I don't have time for this. Uh, so, but then I also asked myself, okay, God, why did you tell me to walk away from something? I literally built it up myself from scratch, right? I was the one who invented the wheel. I got it going. Wow, you invented the wheel. Yep, yep, on that project. <laughs> that, was, that was a bad joke. It's okay. <laughs> so I do have a question. When you say that God called you to quit your job, how exactly did you know this? How, how did you discern this out? I mean, it was just a very strong voice. I know it's not coming from me. I, I know it's coming from above. I mean, it, it would not be my decision to make because a common sense decision would be keep it. Because a lot of people kind of treated me like a big deal in a way, right? Because different schools kind of had me, my name on their posters saying I was there to give a presentation and I have meetings with uh, sponsors and uh, schools. So uh, it just seemed like you're about to launch onto a higher ground right kind of success so then the common sense to stay and make it bigger especially after receiving the national attention at the Chicago convention so so out of nowhere saying to quit it's kind of just like what that's hmm. random right so because God at the time I was asking God why did you tell me to quit and he did tell me, uh, it was definitely a voice from above saying, I have something prepared for you that's going to make you very busy for the rest of the year. Hmm. At the time, I was confused. It's like, what? What you're talking about, right? Like, are you going to promote me on my other job? Or are you going to make me a director to be very busy? It's like, what's going to happen, <laughs> right? So hmm. I, I had no idea because... Running for office was definitely not on the radar at the time in January, which is just two months before March when I decided to run. Hmm. So you get this call, then how did you come to the decision to run? Did someone in your life suggest that you run? How, well, how did that all come about? Well, it's just many pieces because it's a redistricting year. Uh, it's quite a bit messy, and uh, uh, the candidate was going to run for my seat, decide to run for Senate. All of a sudden, that seat was open, and then convention was on Saturday, uh, and I got an email saying, we don't have a candidate for the House, we need one. And yeah. I saw it, it's like, oh, uh, maybe that's what the calling is, right? Huh. So, so, I decided to, so I decided to run on Wednesday. And the con endorsement convention was Saturday. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's basically last minute. Wow. That's quite the story. 
So how did you end up on this mailing list of Senate and House candidates? What do you mean mailing list? Like uh, uh, This email that you received that no one was running for this House seat. Oh, it's from uh, the chair, the chairwoman for the Senate district. Okay, so you had signed up on a list before? Uh, I was uh, one of the members, so I was a uh, super volunteer before. Um, and I was very involved in, because I was the vice chair for Asian American Republicans of Minnesota. So, okay. so you they, had, they, they been, know me. Yeah. You had been interested in politics before this. Right. So I always just want to be a volunteer, say someone else run, <laughs> I can knock doors for you, but I don't want to run. Right. Hmm. But that all changed. Right. That... Your story reminds me a little bit of Abraham when God comes to Abraham and he says, right now you're living in Ur, but I'm going to take you to this land that you haven't seen before and you need to trust me to provide. Well, I... go ahead. Sure. I mean, uh, maybe I, I don't like to be compared to Abraham, but yeah, a lot of times I feel like God would call you in your life to do something that it's so bizarre it's so out of ordinary it's so illogical because we like to make logical choices right because hmm. we say we go to college we find a good job make good living buy a house it just seems like what the society expects you to do right mm -hmm. but a lot of times in life i feel like god would call you to do stuff that's so out of ordinary and hmm. maybe it's a test to see if you're loyal or maybe he has something ready for you or he's trying to build you up for something that you don't see it yourself hmm. right so i think a lot of times we just need to be loyal to god's calling and just answer to him and if you know it's god calls you to do it you do it right mm -hmm. you'll be loyal you don't ask questions you just dive in and serve. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think, well, you can't go wrong with that mindset. Yeah, so just answer his calls and go in and see what he wants you to do. Hmm. This is a bit of a tangent maybe, but I'll admit I, sometimes when someone says to me, oh, God just called me to do this, I tend to be a bit skeptical of that. I just sort of do things and and just sort of see where it ends up. You know, like like this podcast, for example. I've I've been doing this for a while and Well, maybe I guess this is an example of of you know God calling me to do something bold, but I realized that I I had I have a lot of ideas in my head and and a lot of people in my life who I who I really looked up to were podcasters. So then I was like, like Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah, I really like Jerry. So I was like, huh, I wonder if I could create this kind of a show where, where we could maybe talk about some off the wall theological stuff or yeah, or just those questions that everyone seems to have, but maybe not everyone knows a good place to discuss these things. 
So then for a while, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I don't really know how I'm going to do it. But then I shared this idea with a few people, and they're just like, you know, you should do it. You should just go for it. So then I was just like, okay, well, and then some other things fell into place. I, I learned about, shout out to the Anchor app. They've been very helpful in distributing this podcast. Yeah. And I really didn't have much of a long-term plan as far as, you know, what kind of, what kind of guests I would have on. Like, you know, I didn't like contact all of the, all of the house representatives and candidates and see who wanted to come on. I, I just met you one day at church. Yeah, and, yeah, I know. And you gave me your card and I was like, huh, I'll reach out to Alan and yeah. see if he'd like to come on. So, well, I'm glad that you re- reached out. I'd love to be on the show and just also saying that a lot of times just, I mean, it, it's hard to know once a God calling for other people. Mm-hmm. I only know when God called me to do things. Hmm. So if God called you to do this podcast, just say, go full force and do it. Because he will guide you along the path what you should do. Amen. Yeah, and that really has been the story. I've I've gone through stretches of time where I've had no idea who my next guest was going to be or when my next episode would release. I mean, if you just look on Spotify or wherever... You'll see that there, there, there were some gaps in there between episodes, but, but hey, here we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, love to be on the show, and let's maybe discuss our next point. And uh, yeah, so or if anyone has other questions or you have questions, uh, hey, let's uh, fire away. All right, I can't think of anything at the moment, so let's jump back into the story here. It's March. You decide that you're running. So, what were what were some of the issues that that were really at the center of your campaign? If you had to name like two or three issues. Okay, so I mean, at the time, I mean, of course, it was a crime wave that swept across the state, across the nation, right? So, public safety was number one, and also like education and uh, taxation uh, and pro-business policies. So mm-hmm. uh, those were the three top ones that I, I was running on. So, I mean, for public safety, there's no need to mention because there's a lot of looting, burning, and people felt scared, mm-hmm. right? I had some friends uh, who had his family just drove all of them down to Iowa just to get away from the chaos, right? So... Uh, I don't know if there was another time that in my lifetime here I can recall. Maybe the Rodney King thing in 91 in Los Angeles may be comparable, right? So it's just, that's just because we had it pretty good for pretty long and we mentally did not even see this coming. So it's like, wow, Hmm. this could happen to me to my house to my neighborhood so hmm. uh that's a wake-up call for a lot of people so it's like public safety comes like to be the number one issue mm-hmm. on a lot of people's mind when it comes to uh, the election year and so how do we fix that how do we keep people safe so i had a meeting with the police officer uh, the police chief of roseville and we had a pretty good discussion about 
what are some tough issues here, right? Uh, the, how the crime wave are hitting everyone and how it's hurting people's properties mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So what kind of measures would you consider passing in the House or as as one representative in the House, what what would you propose to to help stem this crime wave? Well, I mean, uh, well, since I didn't win, so I can't really make a difference now. But if <laughs> let's just say if I had one, uh, one of the things like, I mean, one, we definitely want to reach out to all the sheriffs around the state in different counties and talk to police chiefs and what kind of support they need, right? Because I know, because they, they've been talking about defunding the police. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. how is that the right way to go about it? So if, what? I don't know. As far as I understand, luckily that didn't last very long, but... Yeah. I mean, you cannot defund the police. You have to make sure they have enough equipment for training and mm -hmm. they have the best training. So, and you have to mentally have their mental stability so they would know when to use a taser, when to use a handgun. Mm -hmm. So if they don't have enough trainings and they mess up, and then it's right. going to be the big news of the next day. So, exactly. So I don't see how defunding them would be the solution. Right. A lack of training would lead to more police brutality, as you just mentioned. Yeah, even just by accident, right? It may not mm. even be intentional, because if they don't have enough training, they can just panic and draw mm -hmm. the wrong weapon and shoot people then that would be another tragedy that could have prevented from uh proper training right 100 mm -hmm. percent. so it was the public safety issue so that would be you know meeting with police chiefs and and i think would that also mean uh restructuring the state budget uh i would like to I mean, the way I look at a budget, how the state should be, is that we cannot run it like it's free money. It's all taxpayers' money. So we should run each department like, like um, with a way to measure it. Say, oh, uh, Department of Education or Department of Transportation, how much budget you want and what you want to achieve, we have to have a way to measure it. So let's say, for example, oh, we need this much of budget to buy books, and books cost this much, and salaries cost this much, and by doing this, this, and this, we can raise average student GPA by 0.5% from, say, 2.5 to 3. So if that's what you promised, and you have a way to do it into the detailed plans, and by the end of the year, by the end of the cycle, we can measure it. And if you achieve, great. If you don't, we have to go back and look at it mm. and see how, like, where it went wrong. And so you cannot just, like, say, oh, we need more money and then just give them more money without the way to hold them accountable, right? We have to hold every government official, every government department accountable and have a way to measure their performance. Mm -hmm. Just like in most companies, right? You you have to say, oh, I, I promise I'm going to reach $1 million in sales by end of year one. If you don't, we have to reevaluate, mm -hmm. right? Same concept. Yeah, it's, you know, the classic stereotype of the, of the bureaucrat who gets paid no matter what, am I right? Right, so <laughs> we have to hold them accountable and we have a way to, yeah, 
Like, I, I know a lot of government employees really do mean well and are trying to help, though. Right. I, I oh, absolutely. A lot of them do mean well, but, but a lot of people on the top, we have to figure out the way to work efficiently. Mm -hmm. And how do we get uh, same things done on on limited budget? And how can we use the same kind of funds efficiently? Because for education, right? We spend more money into our education than a lot of other countries I know, like for example in Asia, Taiwan, Japan, South Korea, even China, right? Hmm. They spend less in public education per student than us. But yet, you look at their grades in math, physics, chemistry, biology, right? Mm -hmm. They can like leave our students in the dust, hmm. right? So they outperform us in all of the math, physics, uh, you know, chemistry and stuff. So what have they done right? Can we learn something from them? Like how can they be more efficient, spend less and achieve higher GPA or student performance? Because it's a student performance, I do care. And how can we get them there mm -hmm. without just like squandering money away and without a way to measure it? So checks and balances again. Mm -hmm. I know because I guess something else I've been thinking is that I don't know is I wonder is underfunding really the issue or or is there something else because how much funding say public schools receive that's only one aspect of it you know there are also other things that that you know you really just can't throw money at to right. solve you right. know, a lot of times, how much is the result really, really within your control as a, as a governing body? I guess that's just that's just something else I was thinking about that. Right. Because, you know, it sounds appealing to say if we just give them more money, things will turn around. But but things the issue might be a little more complex than this. Of course. I mean, money is a tool. How effectively you are using the tool it's on the person, on the direct director, mm -hmm. right, on the commissioner. And so, I'm not pretending to be an expert, by the way. Right, yeah, I know. I'm just saying that, for example, if uh, working in a corporate environment, you, you can give me a budget of, say, uh, $1 million for this year on marketing and stuff. I can be very careful and evaluate expenses on everything and achieve the goal, or I can just say, oh, spend whatever I want to spend <laughs> and see how it goes. YOLO. Right? So you have to have a way to budget your budget and know where you can spend how much. You need to hold yourself accountable, right? Hmm. So money is a tool. It can be used effectively by the right person. It can also be easily wasted away if you use the wrong person. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Yep. So, again, it, it just have to use the right people and know what you're doing you have to treat the money as taxpayers hard hard earned money and be responsible for it cannot just oh it's government government money is free so let's just like waste it away right so mm -hmm. so we have to hold them accountable that's my point mm -hmm. so did you really spend time studying minnesota's current state budget and identifying some areas where where you think 
funds could be better used? Well, I looked at the chart. I believe I saw the chart that I think two departments, like Department of Education and I believe the other one is the Department of Human Services, they take up, two departments take up like 53% of the state budget, something like that. So the other half is by all the other departments like <laughs> MinDOT, uh, public safety, all those di different departments. So then you just go like, oh, wow. It's like, really? It, it, it costs that much, right? So again, you just have to think that how could two departments take up over 50% of the state budget? And then you, you feel like there has to be ways you can save and use it more efficiently and still achieve the same status, same goal, same performance. Just no, so that's why we need a responsible uh, state auditor, right? Because we got exposed that we had this three hundred million dollars of fraud in the what's it called the some uh, feed our children or something like that, hmm. right? So if you don't have accountability and strong auditing on state spendings, you can have this three hundred million dollars of fraud maybe one of the biggest one in the state history, then there you go. That's a state budget right there, right? Man, that's really sad because, you know, the program was Feed Your Children or, or something like that. Yep. That sounds like, you know, such a worthy cause, something so important. And and to find that it's being used for fraud is, is really sad because you're thinking, wow, they're doing such a great thing. And how could anyone oppose this? Unless, of course, that's not actually what they're doing. Well, again, so that goes back to accountability and auditing because everything the state wants to do, they have to do it in a great name for humanity, for the planet, for the children, uh, right? Feed the hungry, help the poor. They're always uh, doing the name of great cause that no one can oppose. But how you run it, step by step is where we need accountability and the oversight the watchdog to watch them so that's why the state auditors position is very important that that the current state auditor is probably not really doing her job ouch called out yeah i mean because uh when i watched the debate from the state auditors uh, position i mean uh, the current state auditor is just saying that she's been doing a lot of things. And uh, Ryan Wilson called, called her out saying that, you know, one thing that she's not doing is auditing, hmm. right? And, and when asked uh, the current auditors that, hey, uh, how can you let this happen? How can you let the fraud happen? All these things. And her reply is that, oh, that's not my job. I'm like, what do you mean it's not your job? Of course it's your job, right? So, so again, having good people in the right position is very important. For sure. And well, if you're listening, we the people are the ones are the ones who elect them. So when it comes to getting the right candidates into office, it is, you know, and I'm going to say our cuz I'm also a citizen. It is our responsibility as citizens to make an educated, informed vote. That's my, that's my bit of soapbox. I, I know for sure I could be doing better as far as, you know, 
researching as a citizen, but there are just so many moving parts, it's a lot to keep track of. So, Alan, to, to change gears a little bit, uh, before we started the show, you discussed that you also, in your campaign, had some pro-business policies in mind. Yes. Of course, because of COVID, a lot of small businesses suffered greatly. Oh, yeah. My God, yes. Yeah, it's... That's really sad to think. So, and you, but you said you you were proposing some things to to try to help small business owners. Yeah, uh, to help small businesses and keep bigger business here, so they keep their money here, they keep their employment here, and help the. I mean, we should really encourage uh, startups in the state of Minnesota. So I think Minnesota has lost the status of being a good manufacturer state because we have so many manufacturers left uh the last manufacturer company that moved here was mosaic under tim plenty and i think they have left so we Mm. are we're a state that we kind of just like we're losing manufacturer jobs and i think that's a big warning sign we cannot be a sustainable state if we don't have a good manufacturer base Mm. right so i think a lot of uh over regulation high taxes for big corporations uh, might be uh, the reason because a lot of people want to say oh we need to tax the big corporation they need to pay their fair share but that's the thing that we have to educate people to think that do you think we just tax them a lot and they will just pay a lot and stay here (laughs) i mean for a metronic right a very local minnesota company earl bakken a guy from columbia heights it's an American dream. You, you start a company in your garage and build up this gigantic Fortune 500 company. We should keep the company here, but because of high taxes, Medtronic uh, shift their global headquarters to Ireland. So they pay the Irish government hmm. taxes, not us. So again, I mean, sure, we should have a, a pro- appropriate uh, tax quote, uh, percentage for corporations but you want to keep it low enough that they want to stay here and don't Mm. just move overseas right if they move overseas the money will move overseas so the irish government will get their taxes Hmm. not us we're i think we're we're seeing this in california with a lot of the big tech companies are are moving to other states yeah elon musk yep very most famous example I think Toyota, they moved from California to Texas, too, the North American headquarters. Okay, yeah. I was just going to ask about that, given Toyota is a Japanese company, but... Yeah, I mean, they have their North American headquarters. Got it. But I do have one question regarding corporate tax rates. So we talk about, you know, small businesses, and, and of course... The biggest threat to small businesses would be these large corporations. And I think we saw this a lot, particularly during COVID, like, you know, in the restaurant industry and, and you know, oh, yeah. little stores. Oh, yeah. They didn't have the resources to weather the storm of COVID. Right. But but you had these big businesses that that they could stay alive. And, and they also had lobbyists to... Yeah. To get exceptions oh, yeah. to a lot of the, you know, to a lot of the policies that were, that were hurting small businesses. And I mean, we can have a whole debate as to 
how those policies actually worked. But, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that how do you balance the, you know, keeping corporations here and keeping profit here while giving small businesses, <clears throat> excuse me, a fair chance to compete? Oh, yeah. oh for sure. Uh, we definitely want to promote and encourage uh, startups and small businesses because they are really the backbone of the economy and they hire a uh, majority of the workers in any economy over Fortune 500 companies. And you look at over COVID, right? Who benefit the most? Target, Amazon, Walmart, right? Who suffered the most? The mom and pop shops. Mm -hmm. So it almost seemed like the government wanted to help Target, Walmart, and Amazon. I'm sure they have lobbyists in, in D.C. and in St. Paul, right? So how do we balance that? I mean, I, I think one of the fair ways that you cannot just shut down the economy like we did with Governor Waltz, right? So uh, when you shut down, forcefully shut down, it hurts small business the most mm -hmm. because they can order online from Amazon, mm -hmm. Target, Walmart, and you kept them open, of course, people will go there. So small mom and pop shops don't have the enough funds to weather all this, uh, all this storm. So they end up suffering a lot. I saw a lot of small restaurants, small mm. uh, shops, they closed. I went to a barbecue shop, a locally owned uh, neighborhood guy, right? And he was like, yeah, we don't have the resources to, to get on to DoorDash and uber eats because we cannot be ranked high enough we don't have the funds we don't have the resources because uh, you, you need to pay or have enough sales to be ranked high on uber eats or doordash mm -hmm. so if they're not ranked high they don't get orders but if the society and the economy is open people can just go in there and they sell good ribs right mm -hmm. their ribs are good their briskets are good but because they don't have that advantage on doordash uh, they just lost so much money, they have to shut down. I, the other day, I drove by on Silver Lake. Uh, they're no longer there, which is sad because they. I really miss their ribs. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so how do we protect small businesses? I mean, by encouraging entrepreneurship, by giving them maybe good policies, good tax code, or even we can say if you start a new business, can we give them tax exemptions for three years? So for three years, if uh, you start, or we can have government loans for new small businesses, say if you go bankrupt before a certain time, uh, there's a way to pay it back. But if you succeed, we have a timeline for you to pay it back. So if we can help them on that or tax exemptions, we can really help small businesses to flourish in the state. And how do we weather them for the competition on, on the big box, Target, Walmart, Amazon. So uh, uh, one of the threats that they face is uh, takeovers. So one, because you know big corporations, they always buy out a competition like Google, right? Facebook, they can just buy out people. So can, we must have a way in our core for antitrust that can we prevent these big corporation takeovers. like. I was against that big merger between Sprint and T-Mobile, right? How can Sprint and T-Mobile just mer merge like that, <laughs> right? It's like two biggest companies in the wireless communication field. And then what's next? 
AT&T and Verizon will merge, and then what do we have? No competitions, hmm. right? Uh, a monopoly. Yeah. So, just about. So we have to prevent these, but all that's all in the court system to prevent uh, these mergers and buyouts. And uh, if we can have better and more fair regulations for small business or just business in general, so it's easier for them to operate. Because regulation, outside of taxation, is one of the highest costs for businesses. I mean, I'm all for common sense regulations, but when you have excessive regulations, that's just really costly for many businesses. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of them move to China, move to India. It's not just for the labor. It's also for lower taxes hmm. and uh, cheaper regulations. Hmm. So then they can make stuff there. So uh, again, it's I would say, argue that it's not just the cheap labor that drove the American manufacturers to China, Japan, not Japan, but Vietnam and India. I mean, think about 1980s. Like 80, 90% of the products we bought here were made in the USA. They've been going over to China since... Bill Clinton brought China into the WTO. So things back in the 80s did not cost a lot more because they were made here. A lot of it's because of taxes and regulations that drove them away. Hmm. Now, you mentioned common sense regulations and excessive regulations. Would you mind giving an example of each of those? Oh, yeah. Uh, I talked to a truck driver. He works for Nestle. So he said uh, he complained about the excessive regulations on the trucks. So when they have environmental protection laws, right? Because what it should be is that you should have a filter there that we can measure the exhaust. It should be a certain particles less per million, right? But he said we have to put so many different filters in the exhaust because of regulation. Hmm. So one filter would do the job, but he would put four, five, six filters in there just to meet the regulation. Because huh. the regulation would re require you to put certain filters in there. He goes like, well, it kills my engine. I could barely make up a hill. And normally the maintenance for the trucks on engines like 10 years. But because of those filters, we have to replace the engine or certain parts uh, every five years hmm. so that's repairment cost for the company uh, it costs money to buy these filters so you have more often maintenance and repair so repair before maybe every once a year now it's maybe every half year or hmm. every quarter because of these regulations uh, so i'm just saying you want to make sure the exhaust is clean enough all you have to do is measure the exhaust huh. right you have the car running, truck running, you have a meter, measure the exhaust. That's all you need to do. You don't need to use laws to say you have to use so many filters. Mm. Uh, partially because I think the legislators who made this law is because either uh, they want to say that they have done something in the name of the environment, or they have a filter maker in their district that they have to pass that law so he gets votes or right? both or both hmm. Hmm. well thanks thanks for the example um if you don't mind if we could 
maybe circle back to COVID policies oh, and, yeah. and small businesses. So, of course, when COVID, like, quote, air quotes, first hit the United States in March of 2020, you know, that was a scary time. There was a lot about this virus that we didn't know. And, and at the time, I was like, okay, maybe if we, you know, maybe if we shut down for a little bit, we can always... You know, these small businesses, they they should be able to take out a loan or get some other support to be able to stay open. So I guess, I don't know. The point I'm trying to make is, what do you think um, our state government should have done? Since, you know, public safety was a concern, especially when COVID first started. So what do you think um, Governor Walls and... Uh, our state should have done as far as as far as uh, regulating businesses while keeping public safety in mind. Well, uh, first of all, it's a, a Governor Walt's uh, emergency power grab. Like under emergency, he basically became a king and can do anything he wants to do. So that emergency t time should be limited. But, but this time we saw that he just kept emergency power for so long. Right, because I'm saying, okay, if the state runs faces an emergency, uh, the governor can declare emergency and have maybe two weeks of time to handle the emergency. Because if it's emergency, you should be able to handle it fairly quickly with with all that power. So if in order to extend his emergency power, uh, I think both the House and Senate should pass a bill for for his uh, extension. So he cannot just grant himself emergency power hmm. unchecked. So every time you can extend the emergency power, uh, say for a week, two weeks at a time, but each time you need to pass in the House and Senate and court needs to approve. So uh, by that, there's checks and balances. Otherwise, he was just running around like uh, a king or a dictator that with all the power to his hands and, and we don't get a say whatsoever. Right. Hmm. So uh, there's that. And I mean, he really made small businesses, restaurants suffer because, you know, they can't open. And himself, Tim Walls himself went to Hudson to eat. So that means he did not even believe that this virus is so lethal that it's going to kill everyone if you go out and eat. And he was OK to eat in Hudson. I went to Hudson. Hmm. So everyone went to Hudson and brought money to Wisconsin, which is, could have stayed here, right? Hmm. I mean, it's good for the Hudson businesses. It's good for them. But again, we prove that it's not that lethal. It's not that scary because we all ate in Hudson without masks uh, in close proximity. The, the restaurants were packed. So, and I don't think there was a huge COVID surge in Wisconsin. But I guess another thing I had in mind is, you know, wouldn't an SBA or PPP loan, should that be sufficient to cover any restaurant losses? Well, he can definitely make that decision, but I, I don't know if he did. I mean, I have questions that he did. Because actually, uh, that's the thing about me. It's like, even if they do, they would come in as the good guy say, oh, I'm giving you free loans. But actually, if you kept them open, they could have just sustained themselves. 
without the loans. So I just feel like, in analogy, it's like I shut you in a room and starve you for five days, and then I bring some food to you to feed you. <laughs> Where if I never locked you in a room, you could have fed yourself. So, so it's like you 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 lock them up and shut down everything and and they suffer then you come in as a good guy who by the way in the first hand are the one who shut you down to give you some money to barely get by hmm. then we have to appraise like praise you and and be thankful but hmm. if you never locked us down those people would have been able to you know get by just hmm. on their own yeah so it seems like in a lot of cases you know, these government loans weren't enough for the businesses for whatever reason. Right. Hmm. But again, if we didn't shut down that long, maybe we didn't even need those loans to survive, right? Hmm. Got it. I don't know. I guess I spent a lot of time here in Minnesota just being glad I wasn't in California or New York, but... Feels <laughs> like we might be moving that way. So I have so many friends already moved down to Tennessee, Texas, and Florida. So I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, I have a, a good friend of mine just moved down to Florida last, no, two years ago, I think. Maybe a year ago. I mean, right? So because, no, they're done here. <laughs> Same. I, I know friends like that, too. I don't know. I, I I do like it here, though. I think, sure, Minnesota is is a blue state. You know, people point to say, well, Minnesota hasn't elected a Republican since 1972. But the only reason Minnesota voted for Walter Mondale in 84 is because he's from Minnesota. Uh, uh, Mondale in 84. Waltz did not run in 84. Right, right. No, 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 no. I guess the point I'm trying to make is why is why I enjoy living in Minnesota. People say, you know, it's this super blue state, and I don't think it's as blue as people think it is, but I think you were saying it's going that way. Well, because uh, now Democrats have the House, Senate, and the governor, so basically they can pass any bills that they want to. And uh, so it's just they, anything that they want to pass, they can now they don't need to compromise they don't need to consider consequences they can just do whatever bills they want to do hmm. and without no without checks and balances almost right because anything they want to pass they can pass or hmm. tim walls can want any bills they can put on the floor to vote and then they, he'll know it's going to pass hmm. so um I just don't know how far he might push it. Only time will tell. Yeah, only time will tell. All right, so to wrap things up, what's the future <coughs> looking like for you, Alan? Well, uh, Going to run in 2024? I don't know. I haven't made that decision yet. Uh, it's on the table. I mean, I have not decided. Um, I don't know if I will, but I mean, plus I don't know if I'll have that much time. Because it's very time-consuming, so uh, it all depends. And um, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I'll see if I still live in Minnesota by 2024. Don't leave us. 
Yeah, well, you never know where life is going to take you next. And that, that's the beauty of it. You know, you... Who knows, you might hear that still small voice once again to run or... Or maybe to run somewhere else, I don't know. Yeah, uh, we don't know what the future brings. We just can make sure that we do the best we can for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or run to, or not, I, I have not decided. We'll see. Maybe God knows. I'll see if he calls me to do it again. And personally, I don't want to. Because uh, <laughs> I might be too busy to run by then. Who knows, right? So, um, but just hopefully what we can do for God to serve his kingdom on earth uh, for the time beings that we're here, just do what he calls us to do. Mm-hmm. And knowing that God is in control and uh, we, we are here to serve him. And when judgment day comes, no, it should be a fair judgment mm-hmm. by the Almighty God. So, um, so fear not. I mean, even though you're in Minnesota or California, that God is still the king there, <laughs> right? Walls is not the king. God is still the king. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. Yeah. And Isaac, thank you for inviting me to the show. And it's great to be. Uh, in the wrestling show without actually mud and the ring. Uh, no, enjoyed my time here. Thank you for the Oreo cookies. And uh, yeah, if uh, you need me to be back to discuss some other topics, I'd be happy to. And until then, I hope everyone has a great evening and or day or morning. And Whenever uh, you're listening yeah, to Yeah, whenever this. you're listening. So yeah, so hope to keep in touch and contact me if you have any questions all right brother well thanks again for stopping by and until next time soli deo gloria